Welcome to another episode of the Big Knowledge Football Dynasty Podcast. I'm Sonny and I'm your host. So what's up? Welcome back. Hope you're doing well. It's a Wednesday night and uh, it's been a long day. Put the kids to bed and i um, ready to get a podcast out to you. I don't have much intentions of doing a lot of editing and I don't have intentions of keeping this very long. So we are going to get right into it. So welcome. Uh, today's podcast, I have two parts to it. The main reason I want to do the podcast is actually to talk about Josh Jacobs. I think, um, you know, I've been wanting to talk about him. I've talked very small amounts about him in my player list and stuff. But I think no better time than the present in terms of he's just in everybody's mindset with now with the with the 4-6-40. He ran a 4-6-40. So we're going to talk about that in the, in the second segment. The first segment we're gonna we're gonna do a little trade talk. I, I think um, I've decided I'm just gonna start throwing in some of these segments um, in smaller bite-sized pieces as far as um, some different trade ideas, uh, scenario kind of things. This one is gonna be an interesting one. I just I think it's more for fun and just to make you think, kind of maybe think you out of the box a little bit. But um, I definitely think it is worthwhile and could be beneficial as well and just definitely interesting. So what I want you to do is I want you to think about a time where. You've maybe, um, and it doesn't have to be in, in a trade negotiation per se. This could be in life, you know, car negotiation, any kind of thing, scenario where you you decided to make an offer to a person. You just decided to say, hey, what do you think about this? And you threw it out there to them, and they almost immediately accepted. And what was that feeling you had? Because I know this feeling, and I know most people have had this feeling where if you throw something out there and somebody just immediately says, yeah, I'll do that, there's kind of a, an immediate remorse, a kind of a regret where you go, wait a minute, you know, maybe I should have offered a little bit less or should have asked for more. And it's immediately just kind of this feeling of, oh, man, that that didn't really go quite the way I wanted it to because they accepted it, which is a strange reaction just to having somebody accept what you asked for. Um, and the reason I bring this up is, is actually for the counterpoint, which is, uh, in trade negotiations, I want you to, to, to kind of put your mind around this and think about how that can be used in, in an opposite effect um, when somebody may send you a trade offer. So imagine you're on Skype and or Slack or, or GroupMe or wherever that you you may kind of be able to do your negotiating, and and, and you're going through the the back and forth, um, or even if it's just early in the negotiations, and all of a sudden somebody hits you with a deal that you really like, and you just are ready to say yes. Now you may find that this has already happened to you and you may already have had that sensation where you don't just necessarily want to say yes. And part of this is because you may sense that saying yes is going to cause that uncomfortable feeling for the other person that we just spoke about. But another part is, is that you haven't actually, it's not a solid deal and you don't want to mess it up. So you don't want to alert them to um, that exact feeling. So that exact feeling that I'm talking about, an amazing thing about that is I mentioned this in a couple podcasts ago where I said that, that somebody doesn't necessarily have to get the better end of a deal for them to feel good about their side of the deal. And what I meant about that in, in different ways is they just want to feel good about their side of the negotiation. They want to feel like they came in and did some negotiating and then kind of worked a deal and then got what they think they wanted. So if they offer a trade out there and somebody just immediately accepts that trade or says takes them up on it, then it immediately puts them in a position, like we said, where you feel kind of like, oh, man, I, I kind of misread that. I kind of uh, shot too low 
or whatever that feeling is that you kind of automatically automatically don't feel like you you registered your first shot early because it shouldn't be accepted like that. So what I'm, I guess what I'm suggesting is just try this. Try this mentality where maybe you don't actually push back and ask for something back. Maybe that's a secondary step, a more advanced step. But initially, just don't don't say yes right away. Say let me think about it. You know, let me let me contemplate it uh, for a couple of minutes, and then I'll get back to you on that one. And that's a good way to uh, you're basically now you're letting them know that boy, it's a tough call for me. I'm really having a hard time with this one. Um, and then you eventually acquiesce to say, oh, okay, you know what? I think I'm willing to do it. And then that's enough for them to kind of get that peace of mind to say, yeah, all right, I made a good deal, and uh, you know, I, it's a pretty much right on. I asked for about the right amount. Um, but another way to do this, and this is where it gets interesting, and this is where I think most people would never even consider doing this, and I myself didn't really consider doing this um, until I ventured into some of this negotiation and social psychology stuff, and that is to actually ask for more. And it's the same kind of concept that we just talked about where instead of waiting and saying, hey, let me think about it for a minute, instead you say, well, hey, what do you think about throwing in a fourth-round pick? So this is a deal that you would have automatically accepted, a deal that you would just are praying that they would send to you. You know, it's like, yes, just send it. Just put put that deal in motion. But have the nerve to ask for more. And do that as a consideration to your trade partner. And I'm not saying that in, in you know, just to make joke out of it. It's funny to me. I really think it's hilarious that you literally are doing them a favor and treating them, you know, with respect and letting them get, get a little negotiating in there and feel like that they set a price that was uh, needed a little, you know, that they got a little pushback and therefore they feel good about their overall uh, placement after the, the at the end of the deal. And realistically, it's a deal you would have accepted except for you know that that's not very nice of you to just go and accept it outright, that that's going to make them feel bad. So instead, you need to be a good trade partner and you need to ask for a little bit more and uh, just see how it works. I think it's an interesting concept. I've read a lot about it and just kind of seen it in some of these different books. And I think there's just such an interesting dynamic to that approach because it's not one that you think about. And if someone's making you that offer most likely there is wiggle room there. Most people don't just come out and make their very, very, very best offer. They're going to make you an offer that is somewhere has some sort of win for them. And so if you come back to them and say, well, yeah, it's definitely, you know, it's close. If you can just kind of give me a little bit win back, not only do you win a little bit more in that deal, but you're also, like I said, being a very good trade partner and being considerate of your trade partner's feelings and helping them feel good about the deal that was made. So anyway, that's the first part of the of the, the conversation I wanted to have. I d- didn't want to get too much into trade talk, but I wanted to just plant that seed. I've got a lot of different uh, just little concepts and ideas and things that just like they don't, you know, they may not by themselves win you any trades or outright, but I just think of the next time this happens. I honestly, I have never had it happen where I did this in when somebody sent me a deal and it was like, you know, just through the the trade system on my fantasy league and where I was like, oh, you know what? I'm going to ask for something more. Like if I see something that I really want, I'm too afraid they're going to, uh, you know, rescind the offer and take it away. So if I smash accept the moment I can on on those kind of deals. So I'm not saying that. I think that that's too risky a proposition to try. But I think 
Um, if you're gutsy enough, you maybe want to try that as well. But also, definitely when you're just in the negotiation phase, because a lot of times you don't want to try to reel the fish in too quickly. And, and I think jumping on that opportunity, not only does it uh, not make them feel good about the negotiation, but it, it might actually spook them a little bit. And you might end up losing that, that deal in the end because you never, uh, I don't know how your deal was. I don't, to me, talking a deal over and, uh, you know, saying, what do you think about this? And the other guy saying, yeah, I might do that. Until, you know, if I say deal and the other guy says deal, um, then usually that's pretty much for me a done deal. But I still, I'm not taking it to the bank. If if they haven't sent it or I haven't sent it, it hasn't been accepted it, um, I'm not going to assume that it's a deal. You know, I might remember that and, and not feel so good about my negotiations with that person later. But to me, if it's not done on the system, it's not done yet. So that that is part of the, the whole deal is getting that, that final yes um, and then getting that final like, hey, go ahead and send it. And then following up to that saying, hey, you know, it's sent. And then they say, yeah, accepted. You know, that's always a good back and forth that you just kind of get. It's a, a good working relationship that most people do. Um, that you kind of communicating what's going on, and then in the end, both people say, "All right, have a good day, thanks." You know, you too, and everybody's happy. And it doesn't matter who quote won the trade a year from now or whatever. In that moment, both people feel like they won. And, and getting back to my point, it's like sometimes you have to be uh, looking at just kind of the mindset of that person and what they actually want out of that deal. And this isn't something like I said. A lot of times, negotiations are, are never it's, we're never this lucky to have negotiations where. <laughs> Somebody just throws a deal at you um, that is so good that you're like, oh my gosh, I don't want to hurt their feelings and just accept it right away. But there are. I know there are because it's happened to me and um, and it's just one of those things where there are deals that suddenly somebody throws it out there and you're just like, oh. And there have been times where I try to, to, to follow through on it and then they, it kind of, they wake up to the fact that they don't love the deal. So there's ways that it can fall apart as well. It's just that, that to me, when you get those kind of deals – Remember that there is kind of this way that you might be able to uh, hook it even further uh, by showing that you you kind of push back on it a little bit by saying you know what actually be a good trade partner and let's let's find a little negotiation room here let's find a little wiggle room uh, to work it out. Okay, so now let's talk about the man of the day, man of the hour, uh, Josh Jacobs. So he he had his pro day, and I I'm assuming he didn't. I didn't see any kind of scores for any of his other agility, the short shuttle, anything. It was essentially the 40 and then some passing drills and some kind of showing of other other things, I guess. I, I didn't get to see much. I just honestly just went after I saw the 40 time, and they showed him running the 40, and then I looked for other things, saw nothing. So I don't really care. To be honest with you, that's what's funny to me. I love I love this. Um, this is something I wanted to talk about before anyway. This was something that I was like planning on. I didn't know how I was going to put this into a podcast. Um, so I will be kind of talking about it, but I think this is a good time to bring it up. And that is that, you know, when I did this podcast last year, when I started it, I started it on a whim. I kind of just decided that, you know, I'm going to do this. I had been listening probably to podcasts for so many years now and just, you know, been paying attention, but not necessarily like at the extent that I am this year, because like I said, last year, I, I think it was June that I actually started the podcast, which is after the draft, after all of this. So this is my first year where I came into it with a little different mindset, a little different approach, and, and kind of seeing it through the perspective of, of kind of analyzing before the combine, after the combine, you know, before the draft, after the draft. And I'm just, I just have this really kind of an epiphany. Um, I wouldn't even say it's epiphany, just kind of this realization when I'm looking at uh, how people view 
certain things, and mainly 40 times is what I'm talking about, uh, that it's just amazing how over overvalued the 40 time is. It just Not just in the context of the fact that this is one day, whether it's the combine or the pro day, that this guy goes out and decides he's going to run 40 yards, and this number is now logged, and people just refer back to this number and back to this number so much that I think it's going to be really just a gift that keeps giving for us. I'm just watching the reaction of some of these, just a lot of the podcasts that I listen to, a lot of the fantasy football guys, uh, even a lot of the scouts, the guys who you know swear up and down that they watch a lot of film, and just watching how they say, oh, it doesn't matter, I'm all about the film, what I see on film I love or I hate, uh, blah, 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 and then you know it doesn't really matter what they do on the speed test, it's just then they get out there and they run slow or they run fast and then everybody just completely changes their mind. And this Josh Jacobs one I think is really another example of it. Now, I don't think anyone ever really thought that Josh Jacobs was going to be this super elite running back. I think that everybody kind of had him at that one and maybe there was this like hope that he was going to run a 4 5 40 or something and that's why everyone was just kind of saying, look, this guy could be, um, you know, he's got all the other skills in, in place. So, We'll talk about Josh Jacobs in a second, but I just kind of want to I want to just throw this out there to you to just kind of put this in context. Think about this, especially when you're thinking about running backs. Um, a little bit is in terms of wide receivers as well, and all positions in p- football. But it's just I, I think we overvalue speed, the speed number so much, and it made me try to figure like, okay, what is another example that's different that also. Uh, could we could put it into you know kind of terms and wrap my head around it or, or kind of put it into words? So I thought of this and, and just kind of bear with me. So anyway, imagine if you had just ten of of the most you know outrageous sports cars, ten different really fast, really exotic different types, all different skills you know in terms of the sports car, right? And you'll see where I'm going with this. So you had a race with these guys and you said, okay, the you know we're going to this point to that point. And it's just essentially all you have to do is figure out, you know, who's going to accelerate point A to point B, uh, who has the biggest, you know, best long speed, and, and the winner of the race. So you're gonna, it's gonna be pretty clear to you which car to choose uh, from those parameters. And then if I told you, okay, well actually the race is gonna have turns, and you're also gonna need to be able to stop and start, and uh, you know, some sharp turns and such. So acceleration and those kind of things, deceleration. Okay, that braking. Okay, this is all different. Now you're going to look at those cars a little differently already. Then if I told you, oh, and by the way, um, also the cars can crash into each other. They can run into each other all over the place. You're going to actually be uh, smashing into all kinds of different cars. So you're not going to, even though you're going to be turning and, and stopping and everything and trying to run uh, or drive in a straight line, you're going to be crashing into a lot of other cars as well. So now all of a sudden, uh, the idea of the car you might be looking for is starting to look uh, a lot more like a rally car or some kind of off-road, um, well-built kind of vehicle, not so much maybe the Lamborghini or whatever car that you may have had uh, in your mind initially. Um, and then if I told you, okay, also, that what's the most important part of, of a race, racing automobile in terms of any kind of automotive spark? you probably agree that that's the driver, the person who actually controls the vehicle. So the driver, in terms of a running back, we're talking about vision, we're talking about awareness, uh, you know, the whole, the, the, the ability to, to read information, process information as it's coming to you. Uh, that is something that I think is super underrated in all types of sports. And so here you have 
Um, let's just go back to the car analogy. So you have these cars, they all have a particular driver and that driver is stuck in that car. You, whoever, whatever car has uh, its particular driver, that's what drivers. So some car uh, may be a super duper sports car, but it may not have um, a guy who's all that great of a driver, especially for these, for what they need it to be. And so if that's not enough, now I've already given you all these reasons that would make you look at speed and, and the ability to, you know, for that fastest car, that one car that goes uh, really, really fast. Um, and what have I told you then on top of that, that that speed car is still the most expensive car. That somehow, you don't just get to choose any car from that lot. You actually have to uh, pick them in order or pay a little more uh, for particular ones. And the ones that are fast, even though you've already kind of determined that you might want a rally car or something that's a little more rugged, and handles a little better, but that fast one is still going to be the most expensive. So now all of these factors together, how do we still put speed as such an important factor? This one time this guy runs 40 yards in a straight line, it's not playing football, folks. It's not. And I'm just going to read you off some names of some football players that Josh Jacobs is in. This is this is taking into context that. Josh Jacobs ran this on one day. There was I did some research on Josh Jacobs. Um, he, in high school, he did run like a four four forty at least as they had timed it. Now, granted, they might blow up those numbers for high school kids, but he wasn't. I don't think he's always been slow, and I don't think anyone's ever said that he was super fast. I've never. I never thought he was super fast. I thought maybe he was four fives guy, um, but late four fives. I didn't assume he was super fast. I thought that that was kind of from what I had read from scouts and everything that the one concern was his speed, but. When we get in and we talk about him, you will see that he has a lot of skills that will make up for that. But let me just read off some names so that you can kind of understand that there are a huge number of backs that don't have uh, anything that some people would consider great straight line speed. Devonta Freeman, 458. Carlos Hyde, 462. James White, 457. Jay Ajayi, 457. TJ Yeldon, 461. Chris Carson, 458. Theo Riddick, 468. Rex Burkhead, 473. CJ Anderson, 460. Mark Ingram, 462. Arian Foster, 469. Oh, and then a couple guys named Kareem Hunt, 462. Uh, Le'Veon Bell, 460. And I think the best comparison I've heard of all, and the guy that I'm really going to focus this comparison, this podcast around, is Frank Gore, 458. Uh, this is where, you know, certain things stick with us as as people who listen to a different podcast and study different players and, and dynasty players. We start to, like, collect our information. Um, we hear what we want to hear sometimes. We also um, just try to keep moving pieces around until they seem to fit. And then you hear certain uh, narratives more than others or you certain narratives that, that fit kind of how you see it or how you think it might play out. And something that Matt Wallman said on uh, – a video, one of the very first things I, I saw about Josh Jacobs, uh, he was talking about how Frank Gore, he felt like, could have like a 10-year career uh, by the, the style of running he had, um, just how he was smart, how he he really used the offensive line, um, and how he didn't need speed necessarily to, to kind of dominate and really just keep picking up yards and everything. So it made me think about it, and it made me realize that that you know that is the interesting thing. Why why is Frank Gore such a pain in our ass? Is is dynasty players? Why is he always there? Why is he still there when there's 
all of these young guys who have fresh legs, who we all want to see uh, in and out of every offense that Frank Gore goes to, and they all get kind of like stuck in there where at minimum Frank Gore gets half the work. And it's because of what Wallman's talking about, which is this, just like the vision, the, the patience, the ability to take what's there, the, the ability to use angles, to stay low. Um, and all of these things that I think, I think Frank Gore does really well, he had to do these after multiple knee surgeries. He had to fight this long career. And I'm not saying that Josh Jacobs is going to have that career, but I also see a guy that is, really has low miles on. So he's coming out as like a low miles Frank Gore. Um, I think he, he might not be quite the uh, agile athlete that the Frank Gore was. I remember Gore would really get kind of like low and has these kind of really short, stocky legs. And, and I think that Jacobs has some of that. Um, but I, I think he runs with more power than almost any back I've seen in a long time. I mean, he really runs kind of old school, um, just really putting it to the defenders. So, I mean, I just read off like Le'Veon Bell, Kareem Hunt. And so there there are examples of running backs that – are not just good running backs in the league. I gave you a lot of examples of names of guys who've made it in the league and stayed in the league. Devonta Freeman, Jay Ajahi. These are all guys. Let me tell you how many names. I'm not going to read them off. There were so many names of guys just in these last three years um, when I went over over the combine numbers of guys that were in the 4440s. They are nowhere in the league. They are all kinds of guys. And the kind of guys that have um, that are 44 type guys are there's a handful of them. There's Zeke. Um, there's Saquon. Actually, Zeke was 4'5". Saquon was 4'4". Uh, then there's guys like, you know, uh, Tevin Coleman. You know, what do we do with that? You know, there's certain guys that are fast. Uh, one that comes to mind is Philip Lindsay. You know, to me, he's that's why he's so exciting. He's a football player and he's fast. He's just unfortunately a little small or we would have, you know, Saquon-ish or that kind of uh, special kind of talent. You look at Todd Gurley, uh, David Johnson, Melvin Gordon. They're all 4'5 guys. Four five and a four six forty. You can keep those numbers in your head all you want. And first of all, it is just a number, and it happened on one day. But secondly, just think about that. That's a tenth of a second. So count to one, one one thousand. A tenth of that. It took one guy. It's that little part. That little part of the tenth of what I just said, one one thousand. Uh, it took him that much less uh, to Jacob Josh Jacobs that much less to get to that that 40 yard line um, than the other guy in a straight line and so yeah in the case of of Zeke who's a very powerful runner I would say yes edge to Zeke but when I start looking down the list and I watch how Josh Jacobs is one of the more powerful runners I've seen and he's super smart and he's a great receiver I think he compares very well to a lot of these guys regardless of whether it's a 4-5 or a 4-6-40 I mean, like I said, you look at Shady McCoy. I'm, he's still a starter in this league. I'm sure he doesn't run a four five forty anymore. I'm sure it's closer to a four six forty. Adrian Peterson, same kind of thing. You don't need to be fast. What you need to be is quick, agile, uh, strong, and very, very good vision. The driver is the most important thing. And I think that that's what I really loved when I learned about uh, Josh Jacobs was just that the guy really does see it. He sees things kind of break down before they happen. He sees a lot of things, maybe not on the same level um, as my favorite guy, Devin Singletary, in terms of running style. But he's a little faster, and he's a better athlete, and he's done it at a better level. And I think that that's why he's kind of up there at the top of the board. Now, when we talk about David Montgomery, and we talked about how he's not a top five back, I would be disingenuous to say that 
you know, with his athletic profile that somehow Josh Jacobs is a lock for being a top five back or a top five, um, you know, just a great number one overall pick. I think it's, it's hard to say that about any player in this draft. And that's unfortunate. You know, it comes out. I really, when I talked about DK Metcalf, I thought that maybe he would be, uh, a guy that just jumped up to the number one. I really felt like he would blow up at the combine and that he would just be kind of that one receiver that stood out amongst the rest. But his his little uh, three cone drill kind of just kind of freaked everyone out and had everyone comparing him to just kind of all these strange guys who were tall and fast, and, and therefore that panic set in. Oh, he's not safe. So you, now you don't have much, much safety. I think that I still think Josh Jacobs will be drafted in the first round. I do, I just don't know that that NFL teams are quite as swayed as we as as uh, fantasy fans are and all the dynasty community just freaks out but i think nfl teams they don't care they just you know if he was possibly going in the top 10 or 15 um i don't see how he suddenly becomes a third round pick maybe early second or, or late first but we're talking about you know nick chubb and carry on johnson went early second last year those are valuable players and i think that that's the kind of player if not better that you're going to get because when i care, compare now nick chubb now he's a special talent and I think that uh, a lot of people underrated him, and it just really depends on if that offense, uh, what they do with Kareem Hunt, and everything. But you compare, I compare to Kareem, to Carryon Johnson. I compare to a lot of the backs in the league, Alvin Kamara, Aaron Jones. They both run four, five, six. They both had um, more more quickness um, than speed, much much like he does. Deion Lewis ran four, five, six, and these are guys that I think yes, they have certain skill sets, especially Kamara to me. Um, that that maybe it's going to be hard for any back to have in terms of explosiveness and just like true juice, but also I think that that none of them compare to to what Josh Jacobs brings in just terms of power. I think I've I love watching him run with with power, and, and there's not a whole lot to see. He just he hasn't gotten that many opportunities, and he, they kind of used him all over the field. So that's the other thing I wanted to address a couple uh, things that I've kind of narratives I've heard now thrown about. Something I'm hearing now recently is that, that it's kind of swung back around full circle where now it's Damian Harris. Everyone says, oh, you know, it's like, I don't know why everyone was so worked up about Josh Jacobs when he's not even the best running back on his team. You know, it's like Damian Harris is clearly the best running back on his team. And, you know, the, the idea that I think Damian Harris ran like a four five seven, So now suddenly, see, he's so much faster. He's way faster uh, than Josh Jacobs. And, you know, when I watch the film, it's like, maybe maybe in that straight line if he just busted through the hole and he goes straight for it then maybe but i i see damon harris and i see more of a one speed running back i don't see um nearly as much just cutting ability or uh just kind of loose hips and, and stopping and bouncing on his hips uh, i watch josh jacobs and, and him just kind of do these funny little foot things a lot of like what david montgomery and some of these other smaller backs do and he does it at 220 pounds and he does it um as soon as he gets a lane he just fires up field and will just push and push and push the pile so maybe you know maybe there's some concern for injury but i really like i like his build i like the way um, i could see him used in so many different ways and i just think that there's like i can't really think of too many wide uh, running backs that i i can compare him to where he's a power back with the skill set to be a every down back who can be a receiving back and has enough speed i mean he's you know, Marshawn Lynch, they're all they're all fast enough, and he's fast enough, and he's super strong. And, you know, when I talked about the 4.5 to the 4.6, Daryl Henderson is a guy who's getting a lot of love, and even my guy Waldman loves Daryl Henderson. 
and I just don't, and I can't, I can't buy in. But he runs a four five forty, and everyone's just in love and how fast he is. But I promise you that that tenth of a second later, you would much rather just tackle Darren Henderson a tenth of a second before than a tenth of a second later have to try to tackle Josh Jacobs. I promise you that the linebacker, the safety, the defensive back, whoever it is, just watch some film. Watch how they bounce off him. Watch how they suddenly they don't want anything to do with Josh Jacobs. He's coming for you. He's the hammer, not the nail. And that's really, like I said, it's just rare in running backs these days. And to be a guy who really has uh, the skill set in the passing game as well. And then the other narrative I've heard is that, you know, I think a lot of people just assume that he's not, he was not a good high school prospect. That he was, because he didn't come out uh, 24-7, didn't give him this five-star, four-star rating. Um, And so he came out and there's Damian Harris and there's the other Harris and it's like all of these other guys who've come from Alabama, and then there's this Josh Jacobs guy, and who is he? Oh, yeah, when you look him up, he's kind of just this kind of, he has 84 rating or 80, you know, he's just not, was never highly touted. But I did some research on my guy, and I found out that he was, in fact, actually highly recruited. It just was kind of late. He didn't have great uh, sophomore, junior seasons, but he added quite a few pounds uh, going into his senior season, he played a wildcat quarterback kind of formation and ran for 250 yards a game, dominated in his senior year, and suddenly schools like Oklahoma, Missouri was super into him, TCU, uh, and eventually Alabama. So those are schools that were really interested in a really good player, and he decided to stay home and go to Alabama, and he's worked his way up. Nick Saban relies on him. That was my point, is he uses him in special teams. So Maybe he's not the starter. Maybe Damon Harris quote, got the start and, and had more uh, first and second down type carries or whatever. But there's no doubt that Nick Saban loved this guy and he loved him for his versatility. And, and you watch him, you watch him block. I think that's the thing that it doesn't really help us as fantasy players, but I'm sure it helps him with his teammates. I'm sure that um, when he gets on the field and he's doing that kind of stuff, the teammates want to block for him, and he's just going to be the type of guy that's beloved by his teammates. I just almost think for sure when you're that tough and you bring it to other players uh, and you make defensive players intimidated, when you come out there as a running back and intimidate uh, the defense, your teammates are going to love you. And the fact that he's willing to bring it like that, uh, not just as a running back, but as a blocker, as to, you know, to protect his quarterback and also to just make way for other running backs. So that's the thing. It's like, yeah, a lot of times Damian Harris was getting the ball and guess who was running out in front of him and knocking fools out of the way? Yeah, Josh Jacobs. So just a, a tough, a team player, a guy who's super smart. You know, I've, I saw things about him. His high school coach said, you know, he's just like a poker player and he doesn't show his hand, and, but he's super smart and he knows, uh, you know, he knows what he has and he's just like, it's kind of hidden. He's quiet. He's a quiet leader. Those are the things I like to hear. It's just, it all adds up to me. Um, and, and I don't think football teams right now, if they're going to draft a guy in the first round, then they've done their due diligence. This isn't just kind of like a guy who just came out of nowhere and he's just an average athlete. I've heard that on a couple different podcasts now that he's just average. And it's like, well, average for what? I mean, average at running fast in a straight line. Yes. But he's not average vision. He's not average strength. He's not average agility. He's pr- I, I don't know, you know in terms of numbers, but he doesn't look like he has average quickness. He looks like he has elite quickness. He has really good burst and then he uses that burst uh, you know it's, uh, I heard I think it was Waldman talking about 
uh, the kid for uh, Alex Barnes, and I'm, I'm going to be talking about him at some point, but I just haven't. He was one that I, I meant to I ta- meant to talk about him in the combine. I just kind of missed him. I know he blew up the combine, and, and I do think there is some potential for him. Uh, maybe I'm not as, as smitten as some people, but what I what I liked about what Waldman said was he was talking about how when he gets upfield, sometimes he he kind of slows down. The, I think it was in his podcast, and he was talking about how he just slows down, and, and like so even though he has some speed or in some acceleration, you don't see it a lot of times because he's actually not accelerating into the play. He's kind of decelerating as he feels. Uh, defenders come along and so that's something i definitely don't see with josh jacobs I, I i don't care how fast you are if you're not willing to run at your full speed uh when when everybody when all the helmets are on and everybody's flying around it doesn't really matter to me you know it's like you know ronald jones and and, and rashad penny you know they're backing up uh, guys like chris carson and stuff i mean it's just like this is the kind of thing where Yes, it's, it may or may not be worth the top five. But does this change anything for me? No, it doesn't. I, in fact, this is a good thing. This is where we have to be cheering for these kind of moments. Because really what happened was one day where a guy put a number up on a board that has nothing to do with football, really. I mean, it's not like he put up a four seven five. It's not like he's putting up Elijah Holyfield. If you're Elijah Holyfield fans, you've got to be a little concerned. Because now at his own pro day... Um, it didn't go so well, and it kind of was more of the same. And so now it's looking like four eight. That's that's getting borderline. I'm not. I think there is a, a limit. There's like a cap off. But for running back, that cap off is not four sixes, even four six five. You know, it, Rex Burkhead and those guys. It just depends on what the team is using for you for. And if you have a skill set that works. Now, granted, it it doesn't make for a lot of Zeeks. But there's not a lot of Zeeks anyway. There's one Zeke, and there's Saquon. And that's why I say when I really start comparing Josh Jacobs. It doesn't get me too far before I go, yeah, he compares pretty well. It's those top couple, um, and then, you know, and Alvin Kamara and his receiving ability and, and, and route running, I think, are superior. I, I wouldn't compare him there. Um, but there's, like I said, to me, there's still so much value, especially in a draft where there's a lot of wide receivers, and there's going to be wide receivers available to us later in the draft. I just don't feel like there's a lot of running backs that I'm going to feel really comfortable about. So I'm going to be looking for a guy that's going to get drafted by a team um, that wants to use him as a bell cow, and if he can end up like a Frank Gore, being used for ten years or you know whatever, and having that kind of career where he keeps on pissing us off or other people off because they don't you know they can't get on the field with their young fast guy because this guy uses his four six speed just much better and uses his strength and uses everything else to be an elite running back, but he's not sexy. That values you know him down just enough for us to. You know, maybe I will get some more shares of him. Right now, I was thinking maybe I just get one share or something. You know, maybe he starts falling to, you know, one three, one four, where I can talk to the owner and maybe they're not stoked about being there, and then I can trade up and they can, you know, get a wide receiver, and then I can try to get a wide receiver um, or two or whatever later in the draft. So, I've I've been thinking about this wide receiver group too, and I'm going to be talking about it. I've kind of started to move some shift some guys around a little bit. Uh, it's pretty steady for me, but at the same time, there's a couple. There's one guy in particular standing out to me that I really love, um, and then there's some other guys that I'm kind of starting to fade a little bit just based on how much love they're getting. So we'll be talking about that, and then I'd like to get to some more, uh, you know, running backs and things. I'm trying, I'm trying to get to a lot more of this before the draft. It's fun for me to kind of try to guess uh, and just kind of figure out what, you know, really what what's going on, and then we'll we'll take it from there. So there, you know, like I said, there's so much to learn at each of these levels. But I also think it's important not to just freak out. That if you see something you really like, remember that. You like, stick to that because that is that is really what football is about. And when it comes right back around to it, 
that's what teams are looking for. And so, you know, one combine, one this, those are our opportunities. These are the gold mines for us um, that are going to keep creating these edges where we can let everybody else just say, okay, well, this guy obviously can't be any good. Right. You know, obviously he couldn't be any good. You know, none of these other guys could even be good. There's, you know, there's no way because, you know, obviously he can't be Zeke. So if he can't be Zeke, then he's not worth having and he's not worth a 1-1, even though there's really nobody else that's worth 1-1 either. And I think that's what it comes down to for me is like, where do we take him? I don't know. It it, it would be nice now to, to have somebody, you know, maybe DK jumps back up there. Um, but for now, I think that, you know, whoever has 1-1 or whatever, it's probably going to be tough to trade out of there. You're going to have to make a choice, um, decide what you need. Uh, maybe you could trade it for a veteran player because a lot of times, uh, you know, people who are looking for that one one or one two or whatever they might be willing to trade a vet. But like, still, don't take less value for it. I think that Josh Jacobs. Just think in terms of a pass catching Frank Gore that didn't's not coming off multiple ACL injuries and has pretty low tread, and, and you're probably pretty excited about the player you're going to get, depending on where he lands and and how all that goes. So. Exciting for me, and I think um, that I, I'm still, like I said, I'm, I'm not only am I on board, but I, I was laughing and just loving it when everyone was freaking out and like seeing a lot of people being like, "Oh, I told you so." Josh Jacobs sucks, and I'm just thinking, like, "Yes, Josh Jacobs sucks." You're right, he's garbage. That you know, running that 40 yard dash and in the street clothes that he had on proved it. It's completely solid now. We all know he's not. He was not nearly as good um, as as all these people who actually get paid to decide if football players are good or not have, have thought that he was good at football so enough for me i'll take i'll go with the football guys um so anyway thank you for listening if you want to find me you can find me on twitter at big knowledge fo1 that's big knowledge football or you can email the show at big knowledge football at gmail.com and that is it thank you for listening and we will talk to you soon <laughs>